0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So like I said, today we continue our summer sermon series on hot topics. This week's topic being the idea that we, being free will, the second week of four is free will. Free will being the idea that we human beings have the built-in ability to choose between right and wrong actions, the good and the not so good. Now generally in our culture, We think of free will in one of two ways. The first is what I'll call the generally conservative view. Life is, for the most part, about making the right choices over the wrong ones. And if we make the right choices, then we will succeed. If we don't, then we'll fail. Free will is available to all if we just use it. The second view is what I'll call the generally liberal view. Free will is available to all, yes, but there are things outside of us that keep us from using it. Our past, our personal circumstances, poverty, unequal distribution of wealth, addiction, intergenerational trauma, racism, you name it. In this view, there is a such thing as free will, but we're only really able to use it once those other factors cease to exist or other oppressions cease. And if you're like me, you can probably see the truth in either view, that either of them have something true. In fact, each of us probably falls into a mix of one of those two things, but maybe leans to one direction or the other. But the Bible comes at the matter of the human will from a different angle. Where we see free will as a matter of our personal ability to choose between right and wrong, the Bible sees it as more of a tug of war going on in the human heart. What a great illustration that was out there. <laughs> You'd think I planned it that way. A competition between two opposing wills with our own will caught in the middle. Two opposing wills and our own will caught in the middle. Our scripture passage for this morning bears witness to this. Our scripture passage from the seventh chapter in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Now, most scholars believe that the story behind this letter, sorry, um, uh, Behind this letter is a uh, bitter conflict between the Jewish disciples of Jesus and uh, Gentile disciples of Jesus, but that historical stuff is not entirely important for us to, I don't even know why I brought it up, why did I bring it up? I do not understand my actions, Paul writes, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but cannot do it. Paul, if you'll remember, who was once a killer and fanatic persecutor of Christians until encountered by Jesus in a mystical vision that turned him around, Paul is a spiritual athlete if there ever were one. He knows the law, he knows what's right, to do, but still, this struggle to do the right, to do the good, goes on, even inside of him, even inside of Saint Paul. And the struggle goes on because of a mysterious force of will, a will not his own. If I do what I do not want, Paul says, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I delight in the law of God, but see my members another see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sin is the name that Paul gives to this opposing will, this opposing force that pulls humanity in that direction. Now we often think of sin as in sins, doing individual bad things that lead to our condemnation, and those aren't good, don't get me wrong. But for Paul, sin is more of a power. It's more of a gravitational force, one that inhabits us, institutions, nations, powers even. One that sucks us into its orbit, pulling us away from doing the good and towards the not so good. And I'm sure it's no stretch for each of us here that I say that each of us here know what he's talking about. Anyone who's tried to stay on a diet knows what Paul's talking about. Anyone who's tried to control their temper knows what Paul's talking about. Anyone who's tried to give up smoking, drugs, or porn knows what Paul's talking about. Anyone who's woken up and said, today I won't spend that time, much time on Facebook or I won't spend over my credit card limit. Anyone who's promised to be a better, more thoughtful father and husband. Anyone who's realized they need, more, a more understanding, need to be a more understanding spouse. Anyone who says, I need to be more forgiving and stop hating so much. I need to stop letting everyone walk all over me. Anyone who says, I'll start giving my money away when I have more. Anyone who says, now's the time I won't let my career get in the way of my family, or I won't let my broken family of origin get in the way of living a full and loving life. Or any government that runs on the promise of actually doing something about the environment, balanced budgets, reconciliation, or good news from the For the poor, anyone who's gone to bed saying, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Tomorrow's going to be different. If you're anyone, period, if you're anyone who's tried to do something different or be someone different and failed, then you know exactly what Paul is talking about. Because it ain't easy to do the right thing. It ain't easy. Anyone and everyone, not just a conservative matter of doing the right thing, not just a liberal matter of being given the right social circumstances, each and every one of us has a spiritual ball and chain around our hearts, tugging us around like servants, like slaves. Even when we know what's right, even when we will what's right, even then there's something mysterious in us and beyond us that keeps us from actually doing it. There's an inner struggle, a tug of war going on in each of us. It's the universal problem at the root of human life. No one is exempt. Even the best of us, somebody like Paul. It can be overwhelming. It can be disheartening. We want to sort of step away and say, that's not true. That's not me. But the truth is that this power isn't the only power that's at work in our lives, either. Maybe that's the good news. Like I said, we're caught in the middle between two opposing, pulling sides. But it's a battle between two opposing wills, not just sin and our own will, which is usually how we frame it. Like, why don't you stop doing that? It's not so easy. Who will save me from this body of death? Paul asks at the end of our passage. Thanks be, he answer- answers. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then skipping on to chapter 8, this is what Paul says. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has set me free, he says, from the law of sin and death. The other will, you know, the the Dave will, you know, Dave was up there, you know. The other will is the spirit of the living God. Paul says that in the internal struggle in ourselves, the power that can overcome our greatest struggles is God's own life and power. One that can tip the scales towards goodness. It's really hard to talk about how this works. And I kept telling Cheyenne this uh, you know, I'm going to talk about the Lord of the Rings this week. And she rolled her eyes. Uh, But if you've ever read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, you'll know that the story is all about a ring of power. One that falls into the hands of a hobbit, if you know what a hobbit is, not really that important, named Frodo. The ring has the mysterious power to make the wearer invisible, but soon we discover that the ring has a power all of its own. It corrupts the person who wears it making them obsessed with the ring itself, stopping at nothing, including betraying friends and enemies to keep it. As such, Frodo is warned never to wear the ring, but later on, Frodo's life is in extreme danger, so he takes the risk and he just slips it right on. All hope left him, it says. And suddenly he felt the eye, the eye being the eye of the villain of the novel. A fierce, eager will was there, and it leaped towards him. And then Frodo hears himself saying two opposite things at once. Frodo heard himself crying out, never, never, or was it? Verily, I come, I come to you. He could not tell. Then, as a flash from some other point of power, there came to his mind another thought. Take it off, fool. Take it off. Take off the ring. The two powers strove in him. He writhed, tormented. But suddenly... He was aware of himself again. Frodo rose to his feet. A great weariness was on him, but his will was firm and his heart lighter. He spoke aloud to himself, I will do what I must, he said, I will do what I must. One of my favorite preachers, Flemling Rutledge, says this scene shows us the internal struggle that Paul is talking about. The fierce, eager will of sin that inhabits, holds us back, and is determined to enslave us. But the revelation that comes to him from some other point of power is the power that sets us free for the purpose of of goodness. If you've ever experienced a sudden reversal in your life, if you've ever found yourself with the strength to overcome when you thought all was lost, then you have experienced the freedom of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, even if you didn't recognize her by name. It's a power that allows us not just to do what we should do, but a power we can cling to that empowers us to do what we must do. In Christ, Rutledge says, in Christ there is a new will for those whose will is in bondage. Our wills are only truly free when they are given over to God's good will, for all creation when we yield our wills to God's will that is to have faith and when you do this you'll find room in your heart to love the unlovable even your enemy you'll find the ability to seek forgiveness or forgive a friend. You'll find the courage to make peace with your parents or your children or your brother. You'll find the strength to help you give up your drink, drug, or other addiction of choice. You'll find the spiritual muscle to start giving away money out of your abundance instead of being afraid you don't have enough. You'll be able to reach out and help transform a life of despair into a life of hope or stick out your neck for justice, social justice, or the health of our beloved earth, because that's what a truly free will looks like. One that's aligned with the loving will that undergirds all things. Thy kingdom come, we pray every Sunday, thy will be done. Not mine. Thy will be done. So friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, the truth is that there is a mysterious power that inhabits our lives, one that holds us captive and finds itself deep within us. We do that which we do not want to do. We can will what is right, but we cannot seem to do it. But there is another point of power, a greater power, one that longs to be welcomed by us. One that when we give our lives over to it, when we yield to it, takes root in us and grows thick and tall as ancient cedar. One that cannot be shaken or moved because it is the very spirit of the living God. And when you turn yourself over to it, you'll find the courage and strength to do not what you should do. But what you must do, trust in Christ, and your will has been set free. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.